Calling all community builders, this episode of the Sales Development Podcast is for you. My name is James Bodden, here to introduce episode 177 of the Sales Development Podcast, powered by Tenbound, hosted by none other than David Delaney. And David has a real treat for us today. He brought on Jacob Peters, a serial entrepreneur community builder, and co-founder at Comsor. The episode kicks off with a really interesting story. Jacob talks about how his background in data science led him to becoming a community builder and how that shaped the rest of his career. As David and Jacob get into the episode at minute 11, Jacob talks about the power of community and how it shapes sales and marketing functions, how it influences inbound marketing, sales development motions, creates a hiring pool, and allows you to identify champions of your product. He really breaks down all of the different value adds that you get from building out a community. At the 20 minute mark, Jacob gives some billion dollar advice on niche areas that are ripe for communities, personas that are underserved when it comes to communities, and actually gives you exercises that you can go through to identify and engage with those niche personas and identify those green spaces. At minute 23, David keeps the tactical advice coming from Jacob and he really breaks down what it means to build out a community the right way. You definitely wanna make sure you have a pen and a pad for that. As we get to minute 26, David and Jacob talk about creative ways to create room in your organization for a community building role and why it's so important to scaling and growing your business. If you have feedback for us on this episode, please feel free to leave us a review, hit the like button, subscribe. You can head over to tenbound.com. You can sign up for our newsletter so you're staying up to date on everything sales development. Enjoy episode 177 of the Sales Development Podcast. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am honored to be joined by Mr. Jacob Peters, a serial entrepreneur, community builder, and currently working on Comsor. Jacob, thank you so much for jumping on the show. Thanks so much, David. I'm super pumped to be here. I am too. I mean, you know, community is a huge topic right now. I mean, even more of this last year when everybody had to go inside and everyone's going digital. Tell us about how you thought about putting this together, your background in community, and then tell us about Comsor. Sure thing. So my background in community kind of comes from an interesting place and it's the actual exact opposite side of the, the brain that you traditionally think of you know, as being relationship-based or, or community-oriented. And that's the world of, of data science, analytics, and quantitative work. So started my career working in quant at JP Morgan in New York. Had the fortune to join a, a burgeoning function within the business. It was the, the analytics team within the, the asset management business. When we think about asset management, it's kind of divided into two different sections. There's the product side of the business where you actually have research analysts building portfolios for, for, for clients, whether it's institutions or, or brokerages. And then you have the distribution side, which is where it gets a little bit, little bit interesting. And that's actually figuring out the best ways to put those products into the hands of our customers. And our team was tasked with answering questions like, you know, who should we be selling to? Who are the highest value clients and best opportunities? You know, what types of products should we be selling them that best matches their needs? And then when should we be selling these products? So we were able to basically create a layer of data infrastructure to help answer all of those, those types of questions. So some of the interesting projects that we worked on were things like a, a recommendation algorithm where we borrowed Netflix's you know, 
recommendation model of how they recommend movies to you and applied it to, to the asset management world for, for the first time. So we could recommend a particular financial product to a client at the right time based on a bunch of different interesting data about their portfolios and the market conditions and things that other people similar to them had, had bought in the past. Interestingly enough, a lot of the different models that we would build were actually very similar to the ways in which you think about you know, running a RevOps team in a B2B SaaS company, right? It's all about figuring out the lifetime value of a customer and different ways to kind of you know, maximize your recurring revenue. Because investments in financial products, it's, it's actually very similar to SaaS. Now, it was while building out a team there that I realized that I, I wanted something a little bit more. And this is how I started drifting you know, away from kind of the quantitative side of things to more of the, you know, the qualitative and the relationship-based side of things. And that was through the medium of a community. So outside of work, I got the idea to start getting together in some coffee shops with friends that worked in data science and analytics at, at other companies. Next thing we know, it kind of grows from just a few friends hacking on, on weeknights in Starbucks to teach ourselves new data analytics skill sets to thousands of people. And all of a sudden, I'm running one of New York City's largest communities of, of analytics and data science professionals. And it was while running that community that it kind of almost became like a second full-time job. And I became really privy to all of the challenges and pain points that were faced by this persona of the community builder, right? Or, or a connectionist or somebody that just brings, brings people together. And uh, one thing led to another, ended up quitting my job and going all in to explore different types of software solutions that could solve you know, the pain points I was, I was feeling running this, this big group. And eventually ended up pivoting through a number of different business models, found ourselves up market and landed on this concept of basically building out a layer of infrastructure for this emerging community team function within many, many B2B companies. And in the past, community you know, was very much thought of as, as an afterthought or a silo or just you know, something that a marketer would maybe do on the side. Most organizations didn't really have a solid understanding of what community actually meant. And through a series of different conversations, we, we began to realize this and found that there was opportunity for, for kind of a, categ- a new category defining piece of, piece of software within that landscape. So that's kind of the, the origin story of the company Comsor that I co-founded, as well as my background leading into it. That's amazing. Okay. So the, some of the best ideas come from solving your own problem, right? So you, you, you jumped into this thing, it grew tremendously, and you had a bunch of problems. So what were some of the problems that you were having? And then how did you sketch out to solve them? The best way to think about you know, problems that people running communities face is that, is that there's basically two parts of a community experience. They're kind of a, di- a dichotomy you can draw. And one of which is the member experience. So this is actually the set of experiences and events and programming and facilitation that you are doing for community members, right? Or people that you're, you're gathering. So think something like a, like a virtual event that you're hosting or getting people together in a Slack community or, or a forum, getting them to chat with, with one another or hosting an IRL event in a, in a pre-COVID world. That's very much like the, the member side of a community experience. Now, the, the other side is actually where it gets more interesting. And that's where we realized there was a big gap in the market. And that's the management side of the experience. So think about you know, all the different workflows and spreadsheets and just things that community managers and community teams have to keep in their brain in order to make the member side of the experience successful. And that's where we keyed in on the core problem being. So we basically learned that you know, community managers didn't really have a great sense of who even was in their community. They weren't able to track basic metrics like how big is our community? How fast is it growing? Who are our most engaged members? Where do our some of our members work? Can we leverage these member relationships and connections to help our sales and marketing pipeline? There's just a number of different gaps on that management side of the experience that we realized data data could answer or data could 
could speed up. You know, some community teams were, were spending you know upwards of like fifty percent of their time on wrangling spreadsheet data and a bunch of manual manual workflows that that just didn't didn't really scale. And if it this truly was going to be an emergent enterprise function, that basically you know tells you that there's opportunity for for software to help help bridge some of those some of those gaps. So there's really no shortage of community member experience software on the market. You know, there, there's dozens of, of companies that service this niche that offer solutions for forums, you know, think Salesforce Community Cloud, Coros, solutions for virtual events or virtual conferences like Hopin, Bevy, or, you know, if you're doing a minimal viable product, something like, like a Zoom room or a Zoom webinar, Slack communities, basically there's, there's hundreds of, of tools out there, but the, the management experience was sorely lacking in solutions and it still kind of is today. So, so we're one of the, the, the leaders in this, this new market category. Got it. And so when you think about community, you know, when I think about it, there's the community of people that use the product. There's like the user community that's almost like a forum that you go on and ask questions and stuff like that. And then there's the community of like the one that you started and it grows organically outside of a company. Like it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the company. Are those the two main ones or am I missing something? So the most challenging part about working in this industry is that if you ask 10 different people what community means to them, you'd absolutely get 10 different answers. Okay. So uh, <laughs> I could see that. You know, yeah. There really is no, I guess, one universal definition or, you know, simple categorizations of, of community because it is such a, an amorphous and ambiguous term. So the way that I've found useful to kind of wrap your head around this is just starting very simple. So, so forgetting about the platform, forgetting about the purpose for your business, take a step back and think, you know, what is the reason for which people are gathering? Like, what is the movement that you basically want to get people to get behind, right? Like building a community is is, is somewhat like building in a religion in, in a sense where you need to evoke an emotional and kind of like a, a spiritual sense of, of belonging and, and the feeling like people are start are part of something, something bigger. Now, whether that something bigger and that, and that reason to, to come together is a shared usage of a software product. If it's like a customer community where these are your, your product users and you're putting them all in one shared space for them to answer each other's customer support queries or just to give you and your team a much closer pulse on you know what they are thinking and making sure that they're getting the you know the maximum utility out of the product and that they're they're happy and they're not going to churn and it's going to serve as a retention mechanism or it could be something like what we decided to build at Comsor which was a community to sort of own mindshare within the industry and effectively keep it like explicitly like tangential and like separate tangential to the brand and like separate from the brand. So we, we didn't even call it, you know, the Comsor community. We called it community club. If you look up the domain, it's community.club if you're on, you're on mobile or, or desktop. But we effectively decided to build this community for, for our persona, which was the community builder. And by doing that, we were able to essentially position ourselves as thought leaders with, within this space, give people this thing to rally behind, which, you know, is, is often very near and dear to their hearts. Like community building is something that they're passionate about. Community building is what they wake up in the morning to do. You know, it's, it's their job. And going back to my definition earlier of a community being just a really strong, compelling reason to gather that evokes, you know, an, an emotional response and makes people feel like there's something, a part of something bigger. What better thing to latch onto than their role or their job title? I mean, jobs are just such a inextricably intertwined part of our our sense of identity and our, our sense of selves. So that's what we were we were able to do. For us, you know, it served as basically the flywheel that the catalyst for, for, for the success of our, our entire business. And this is a true illustration of the power of community in today's sales and marketing landscape and just a playbook to build a community. So we made the decision very early on to be community-led 
and you know never spend a dime on on marketing never really spend much time doing you know outbound sales or outbound emails and basically just spend our time cultivating this this community of the of the persona or industry owning the mind share and just building genuine authentic relationships and getting people to trust us giving them free content and resources connecting them with one another and it was 100% altruistic with the bet and the strategic bet that you know it would pay us dividends down the line as, as far as you know inbound marketing and, and sales went and that's that's more or less exactly exactly what what happened and the funny thing is this community served as significantly more than just a organic inbound sales and marketing engine it also you know helped us hire basically half of our team <laughs> i mean the majority of our team came from folks that we met in this in this community we built a relationship with and they're like wow you know i, I want to jump on this on this thing and, and be a part of it you know being a community member just isn't enough so you know a community can serve as a place to find you know, power use, power users of your product, elevate them to, to go sell on your behalf organically, as well as find people to, to hire from. It can serve as a retention mechanism, make sure that people are that are using your product, just, you know, love it 10x more because they're not only getting access to the product and the features and the utility that your, your product solves and the problem that it solves, but also they get access to other people that are just as passionate about it as you. And that's powerful. You know, relationships are are, are sticky. So a community truly can, in, in summary, be the a powerful flywheel for your entire business, whether it's a community of your customers with the purpose of, of support and, and you know, reduce support tickets, reduce churn, or in our case, you know, just a, just a, an inbound marketing machine by keeping the community separately branded from the company and building thought leadership within an industry. This is so interesting. Okay, so you're basically describing a new go-to-market strategy that has evolved, you know, over the last few years. It's definitely new, but at the same time, the arbitrage window is is closing. Because here's the thing, David: if we were having this conversation, you know, a, a year or two ago. I would have said there's so much green space in, in all of these these industries. You know, you just do some basic napkin math, like CFOs or HR professionals, and figure out you know the number of ones that the profiles there are on LinkedIn, call it, uh, you know fifty thousand, hundred thousand, relative to the number of, of communities that, that have popped up in these different niches, and like you know the market saturation was very low. Now we're getting to a point where companies are starting to figure this out, and you can only build so many communities in a particular niche, you know, before it starts to get saturated, and then everybody gets inbound you know, requests to join a, a dozen of these things, and it becomes less less valuable. So for all of those listening, if you haven't thought about community yet as a go-to-market strategy, do some due diligence on your industry, talk to customers, talk to your personas, understand if you know there are communities that exist and just do some basic napkin math to understand what the market saturation is. Because you know if only 10, 15% of, of people are, are in communities, that's a lot of green space for you to go out and, and build something. But you know, a lot of the most popular personas, like I said, CFOs, HR professionals, where there's just a litany of different tools for them, you know, companies are waking up to, to the power of this and, and building it out. So there's still an arbitrage as far as this being a viable go-to-market strategy, but as with all marketing initiatives, it will get crowded. So now's the time to move if it still makes sense for your industry. That's so interesting. How do you know if it's overly crowded? Is it just sort of a gut check? Or is there a way, if you looked at, you know, CFOs and is there a way where you would say, oh, there's already, you know, four big CFO groups that are very prestigious and everybody's trying to get in. So forget it. Where's the line there, do you think? Here's the thing. It's a new industry. So the, the data is imperfect. You know, we're trying our best to, to collect, you know, as much of an index of all the communities that are out there and, and bring all the community builders in the world together through through our meta community, the, the community club. So that could be a great place to, to check out and, and do some research. But yeah, it is just a bit of, of gut checking, napkin math. And what I will say is, you know, even if your niche, call it CFOs, for example, is a bit crowded and there's a few of them, communities have to be treated like, like products. And 
what I've seen is a lot of communities, you know, they're able to latch onto a persona, get a bunch of energy and excitement and build out a, a group. But then, you know, what they do is they fail to innovate. This is the same trend we see with a lot of companies as well, right? It's why the, you know, the enterprises of old are getting disrupted by the enterprises of new. It's because they become slow moving, they're not as innovative and, and, and people people lose interest and there's, there's better solutions on the market. So as the community industry gets more, more competitive, you know, the bar is going to be raised for what makes a successful community. So even if your niche is saturated, if you have a, a sense that you could do a community 10x better and apply you know, a modern day 2021 playbook, you know, get the latest and greatest community tools, hire a rockstar community builder, you know, someone that thinks outside the box and that's creative, there's still opportunity for you. Got it. And what are your thoughts on pay? You know, there's there's free communities and then there's paid communities, right? And so there's literally a community out there where you pay each month to be in the community and then you go in and do all the work, of, you know, interacting with the community. It seems crazy, but I mean, I guess it's a club, right? So you're paying to be a part of this very you know, established club and stuff like that. So, you know, I guess the question is, what are your thoughts on free versus paid? Yeah. So the best thing that a paid community can do is it can serve as a filter for a higher caliber of people, you know, because you have to, you have to self-select to pay for something, right? Like everyone wants to join free stuff, but you know, only a small number of, of folks will be willing to pay. So you can use it as a, as a filter to get a more highly curated, you know, higher profile file network. You know, one example of this that I'll throw out in the sales and marketing space, it's revenue collective. They generally want to bring in senior marketing execs and CMOs. I, I think they charge, you know, a fair amount of money, money per year, but you know, it basically serves as a filter to make sure that, that audience is super high, high quality and, and, high, and high caliber. The other thing that it does is it, it, it actually changes the relationship that people have with, with the community itself because they feel like they want to get their money's worth. So guess what that means? It means they're going to be 10 times more engaged, right? As opposed to something that they just got got for free. So there's a psychological lever there that, that a paid community can pull on, which is, you know, engagement's going to usually by and large be higher if people are paying for it because they want to get their money's worth. You know, no one wants to drop 500 bucks a year on a professional association or a community and then and not do anything with it because, you know, it just it, it just makes them feel like they're, they're throwing money down the drain. So money can be a powerful motivator in that sense. Interesting. And I will say though, you know, starting a paid community is actually very challenging because it faces this phenomenon known as the cold start problem where, you know, how do you get those first 10, 15, 20, 30 members to pay if nothing exists in the first place, right? Do you give it to them for free? Maybe, but then how do you get member number 31 to go ahead and pay if they know that everybody else is in there got it got it for free? So, you know, while paid community can be very lucrative and it can use as a serve as a filter, like I said, to get high caliber folks, it's very challenging to get off, get off the ground. And it does require just like an insane amount of of manual relationship building and, and legwork. And frankly, that's any community, but especially so in the paid, paid world, because you have to convince people to give up money before they're feeling the value. And there's a principle in, in you know, product development and software known as like the time to, to value, which I'm sure many of you are, are familiar with, which basically says that, you know, what is the amount of time that it takes between sign up or onboarding of a, of a new software customer relative to the amount of time they start feeling that their problem is being solved, right? Or they're feeling the value of the product. And you generally want that window to be very short, which will, you know, reduce churn and maximize customer longevity. But the same principle actually applies in community where it's like the, you know, as soon as you get someone to join something or be part of a movement or pay for something, you want them to feel like they're getting value immediately. Otherwise it runs the risk of them, you know, joining, never coming back and engaging or, you know, churning if it's a paid community. Got it. Okay. And this is so interesting. You ever thought about writing a book? About this? <laughs> I mean, like, 
I mean, it's like you've pushed all this mental horsepower to something that that is fascinating. And I mean, you could be doing it seems like you could be doing anything you could be doing, you know, <laughs> you know, brain surgery or something, but instead you're focused on community, which is really interesting. Yeah, it's a fascinating uh, industry. And, I, and I've tried my best, you know, these past six months or so to, to really give back, you know, so I've, I spent a lot of time working with with founders that are interested in, in using community as a go-to-market strategy, investing and advising with them. We launched a venture fund late last year as a subsidiary of Comsort that's actually investing in community tools and companies are building on top of our ecosystem. So that's some of the ways in which I've been getting back. Haven't thought about a book yet. Maybe I'll start with a newsletter that's maybe a little bit lower friction. But if anyone that, that's listening is interested in, in chatting, you know, I'd be more than happy to offer some time. Just send me a DM on Twitter. Oh my gosh, you definitely. I mean, because this is next level stuff. Actually, a guy just wrote a book that's pretty good if you guys are interested. It's called Community in a Box by Mark Birch, who started a community probably like 10 years ago called the Enterprise Sales Forum. And it's a really good book. I mean, it goes through very nuts and bolts, step-by-step, not necessarily when you're starting one at your company, like a user community, but it's more of the one that you started you know, when you were doing the data science community. This is so interesting. So I signed up for that newsletter, by the way, because I mean, you know, this is, you think about, okay, they're the sales and marketing CFO, there's a lot of niches out there that are already saturated, but you know, there's tons of personas that they probably don't even have anything like this set up. Would, would you say, is there a lot of green space in the community? Market? There, there absolutely is, you know, not in some of the most popular personas. Like I said, you know, I, I keep going back yeah. to the same examples. I, I sound like a dying horse of, you know, CFOs and HR leaders, but like th- there are so, so many niches, you know, one as an example, that's, that's somewhat fringe, you know, that I just realized is, is all about like internal knowledge workers. So with the rise of, of remote work and every company, you know, basically having to, to keep a collective knowledge base w- without having shared in-person interactions, you know, they have like just massive sprawling internal wikis of information and processes and systems. And like, you know, as companies scale, it's like, who's actually owning all that? A little bit exists in one person's mind, a little bit exists in this Word document. It's just all a notion doc. It's all over the place. So there's the rise of a new function, you know, called the knowledge worker, right? Or like the internal librarian. And what do you know? There's companies building software for, for that persona. And there's companies building communities for that persona. And it is brand new, you know, a lot of green space. That market is going to be 10x over the next five years. And I'm sure there's there's plenty of other interesting functions within the enterprise. An interesting exercise that that I, I was doing the other day was, was going through the org chart of the company GitLab. So GitLab is very similar to GitHub. They, they basically sell a, you know, open source software to help you manage your coding environments to push and pull code from. And they actually open source their entire, all the internal info about their company. So you can go on there and see, you know, who's the CEO, who reports to them, what their job title is, you know, all the different roles and functions. And basically it's a, it's a free org chart of like a 450 person company, maybe, maybe more. And you can see every single role and function. And I was thinking, okay, you know what, Functions here do not have communities yet that maybe you could you could build a community around. So that's that's an interesting exercise that anybody listening could could potentially go through. Or there's a website called like theorg.com. You could just pick your favorite enterprise company and look through and figure out you know what what functions there, there might be that haven't had communities built built around them yet and see if it if it makes sense for your business. This is amazing. And so there you go, folks. You just <laughs> gave you some million dollar billion dollar advice. Now, if you were starting out, you mentioned some tips for people if they're thinking about starting a community. The product innovation is really important. Having a rock star community manager, what tips would you give people if they were thinking about doing this? Gosh, where to start? Yeah. <laughs> Two things I'll say is one, 
you know, everyone always over-indexes on the platform or the tools. It's like, what tools should I use to build my community? Should I build my community on Slack or Discord or one of the other you know, myriad of different ways in which you can get people to gather on? So people over-index on the platform. I think that matters 10 times less than the purpose and the reason for gathering that you're able to cultivate. The kind of mission that you're that you're building building around like that's where you need to start. That needs to be your north star. Everything else will fall in place and in line after after that. You know, I've seen the, some of the best, most engaged communities run on the crappiest you know forum software from like 2008, and it doesn't matter that the tools are lackluster because the, the energy and, and the reason for gathering and the, and the mission and the, the movement that people feel like they're a part of is just is just so strong. So that's the first place that you should start. The second is you know, don't underestimate the amount of time that it takes to build a community. It's a lot of manual relationship building in the, in the early days. It's like selling people on that vision and that mission. It's like planting seeds. And it's not something you can do on the side. It's, it's really not something you can spend 10% of your time on and expect it to work. It really does truly have to be a full-time, a full-time job, whether that's a full-time role and somebody that you, that you bring in. Or you know, if you're a founder, it has to be a number one priority for you. And in the early days, you know, me and my co-founder, effectively, we're both spending each 50% of our time on the product and sales and then 50% of our time on building the, the community. So added together, that's basically a whole, a whole person on a two-person startup. So it truly does require that level of tender love and care in order to get right. Amazing. Okay. And then, but you could refocus the energy that would probably be on like buying Google ads and hiring SDRs and like all the stuff, the usual stuff that people do. Instead, you were internally focused on the community, making it valuable for them. Yeah, exactly. It's a reverse order of operations than the traditional sales and marketing playbook. And I think this is the common theme for the next 10 years, which is like people crave authenticity. They're shying away from like, you know, the, the programmatic, the algorithmically driven content and, and, you know, ads, they, they really just want to build relationships with other like-minded people and feel like they're getting value first. And then that's going to push them over the edge towards a, you know, organic inbound buying decision later. And do you think, I mean, you can't look in the crystal ball, but do you think as the company grows, will you add that traditional go-to-market strategy or is it just going to be, I mean, I guess there's really no way to tell, right? It's too tough to say, but you know, as of right now, uh, you know, our team's probably about twenty people, and it's it's <laughs> you know, haven't had to dip into the traditional marketing playbook yet. Got it, man. This is so interesting. So, how do we get to the the website? It's Comsor. Yeah, c o m m s o r dot com, and then our okay. community is community dot club. You can also find me at jacobpeters dot com. I have a subscription box there for the newsletter that I've yet to release any issues of, but I have about 10 of the, 10 of the backlog. So you can be you can be first and who knows, maybe it'll turn into a book someday based on your recommendation, David. I think so. I mean, I do. This is this is huge. And just the horsepower that you're putting toward this really will pay off big time. So I'm going to go get on the newsletter right now. Jacob, thank you for sharing this wisdom with us and best of luck with the company. I, we'll go over and join Community Club right now as well. Thanks, David. It's been an absolute <laughs> All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.